morning, this morning's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Hear now God's word. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to say that said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who, to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. The word of the Lord. The person most feared becomes the person welcomed into the family. On their way to becoming the most powerful spokesperson for the faith. This is the story of Saul. There is a question that accompanies this entire story. And it accompanies our story in the church. 
when people experience a turnaround in their life, brought about by the powerful name of Jesus, will they find welcome in the church? Because it was a total turnaround. Saul experienced a dramatic conversion. Many of us remember this story from when we were children, hearing it for the first time. It's one of the the most memorable stories in all of Scripture. At the beginning of chapter 9, Saul is leading the persecution of Jesus' followers. And by the end of this chapter, he is being persecuted because of his very public faith in Christ. One chapter, a total turnaround. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You might recall that as we've been going through the previous chapters in the book of Acts, we mentioned how Stephen was was beaten up and eventually was killed. He lost his life. And it says that Saul approved of the actions of the crowd that day. We learn more about Saul in this account. So he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. See, Saul was involved, perhaps even one of the main people or instigators of the persecutions in Jerusalem that forced and the, the church, the believers in Christ, out of Jerusalem into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and evidently also to Syria, to all the way to Damascus, because Saul is going there and he's tracking them down. So this is the evidence in the book of Acts that it's not just that the persecutions were in Jerusalem and if you got out of Jerusalem, you were safe. You were followed. You were tracked down. And that's what Saul is doing as we meet him in chapter 9. But as he neared Damascus, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul has an amazing experience of the risen Jesus. From the very beginning, people's lives have become totally transformed by the gospel. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, that's what people noticed. People noticed that Jesus forgave people's sins. That was a scandal. And there were sins to be forgiven because the other part of the scandal was that Jesus was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus famously said, defended himself by saying, like if everyone was 100% healthy, why would they ever need a doctor? I'm here for their healing, to heal their sin. Why wouldn't I go to those who are sinners? The Christian faith is a faith of conversion stories, and some of them are very dramatic. I did a quick internet search. I came across a Christianity Today uh, list of, of, uh, of conversion stories, and this one 
I'm just going to quote it. Jesus gave me what boozing and brawling couldn't. My journey from the criminal underworld to the foot of the cross. I don't have to make that up. That's someone's story. Criminal underworld. In fact, I didn't even pay attention to whose story that was. It could be one of yours. Whose is it? It could be mine. Perhaps the most famous turnaround story in uh, kind of the modern American church is, is one that, that gained quite a bit of popularity in the second half of the 20th century, especially among American evangelical and Pentecostal circles. And some of you know where I'm going, and it's the person named Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz, still active as an evangelist full-time at age 84 today. But he met Jesus as a violent gang member in New York City. His story is told through the lens of the, the evangelist who God used to help bring him to Christ, a man by the name of David Wilkerson that he wrote about um, in, in, in a book titled The Cross and the Switchblade. You see, back then, the problem with gang violence was blades. In different eras, it might be a different weapon, but he was a violent man. He was a violent and angry young man, having grown up in, in Puerto Rico in, in a, basically a very abusive family setting, he comes to New York. He's just trying to, to survive. He has friends die in his arms. Let's let the myth go. This was in the 50s, folks, where some of us think of fif- the 50s as this perfect world. It wasn't in Brooklyn. Nikki followed up the cross and the switchblade with his own story, Run, Baby, Run. And he's written a number of books since then. But right now, his organization runs uh, a program that actually has operations in, in major cities throughout the world, and it's called the Truce Campaign. And that Truce is an acronym that stands for To Reach Urban Communities Everywhere. And what happens in this evangelism mission that is happening right now as we speak in urban communities throughout the world is that people are sharing about Jesus and their own personal testimony. And you know who's doing the sharing? Are people who used to engage in gang violence, but who met Jesus, and now they don't. And now they're part of Jesus' team, and they're in the community spreading hope, the hope of lives transformed by Jesus. Ananias was in a place of making a difficult choice. The welcoming of Saul into the church was a risky welcome. There's no way to discount that. Ananias was the first one of many who needed to adapt in order to welcome 
someone who Jesus saved into the church. The text says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. That's why we called this sermon the Straight Street Surprise. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And that's the surprise. At hearing that name, Ananias says to the Lord, I've heard about this guy. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And yet continuing to be reinforced in that original direction of a call by the Holy Spirit. Ananias went to the house. And in the understatement of all scripture, he entered it. Imagine being Ananias. And then he placed his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Jesus has sent me to you so that you may see again and receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The extension of brotherhood, of belonging in the family of faith. This extension needed to continue to be given to Saul by others, especially when Saul moved from Damascus to Jerusalem, where a lot more people, perhaps all of the church there, knew Saul all too well. And so if we read further in chapter 9, we would follow Saul back to Jerusalem. And it was the person of Barnabas who had met him in Damascus who vouched for him. Verse 27 of chapter 9. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles in Jerusalem. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. The church had a choice to make upon hearing the testimony of people like Ananias and Barnabas. Faced with a decision to welcome and embrace or keep at arm's length. One of our Presbytery mission partners is uh, an organization called Underground Ministries up in the Skagit Valley. And they equip local communities and communities of faith, congregations, to embrace women and men as they return from prison. They hope to foster new relationships of embrace and trust between the incarcerated and the communities to which they return. Because they believe that Jesus makes possible mutual transformation and that Jesus' resurrection and being raised to new life is something that can be experienced in human community. Now for us, it might not be as dramatic as this It might be welcoming a parent 
into your life, a parent who mistreated you in your childhood. It might be welcoming a person into your life and giving them respect in spite of their reputation that might actually have been well-earned. It could be a person with whom you've had past conflict. It might be someone who's brought back into, say, your work group. Or it could be someone who you end up on a ministry team at church with and you had that conflict with a while ago. Those who Jesus brings through a life turnaround into the church are held in a community of belonging, just as we all are. In life and death, the Heidelberg Catechism says, we belong to God, not by our own works, but by the faithful love of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave himself for us. When we were lost as sinners, Christ died for us. But adaptive moves that that are required by all of us who live in a Christ-formed community need to be met by the adaptive move of the community to be a community of accountability. Accountability to Christ-like love within it. The demands that we love one another include also not only those of us who welcome others in, but also those who welcome, who are welcomed, especially after hurting other people. God, through the leadership in the church, brings the community of faith accountability. Accountability that characterizes all of our relationships within the church. Accountability to a life of love. Where do we see this in the Apostle Paul's story when he was Saul? You notice he doesn't immediately, when he meets Jesus in the book of Acts, go from Saul to Paul. That is kind of generally kind of have to step back from it and you kind of see that transition, but it's not immediate. So in all of chapter 9, he's Saul. I wanted to make sure we said that because. Because for some, if you're hearing this story for the first time, you might say, do we ever meet this Saul again? But not long after this, he becomes known as Paul, and he becomes one of the most prolific missionaries of the early Christian movement and and wrote a good portion of the entire New Testament in his letters to the churches that were founded through his efforts and his faithfulness to the Spirit. In Acts 9-6... Jesus says to Saul, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You will be told what you must do. That phrase does not play well in our society today. And that comes as a challenge to all of us in terms of the embrace of Saul. So, the story would have ended up a lot differently if Saul would have had this transformation and shown up in the church and basically said, no one has anything over me, any authority over me. I'm just going to keep on being myself because I am who I am. 
and I believe in Jesus now, but I'm going to keep treating people the way that I used to be treating people before I met Jesus. Now, the good news is that's not what happened. So we can learn how the church operated through that good story. Saul embraced a completely different life. He also referred to himself numerous times. He owned his former life. He didn't deny it. He still felt the remorse of what he did. In fact, he referred to himself at one point as the chief of sinners. When we read Paul writing that, it's not just that Paul's saying, oh, I've got a real heightened sense of that one sin I did a long time ago, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which he wrote, by the way, uh, by the Spirit's in, in, uh, inspiration, but he really meant that he was the chief of sinners. Like, I believe that the Apostle Paul, if the Apostle Paul was here in this room with us, he'd go toe-to-toe with any of us who thought that we had sinned greater or more. He shared that with the church. He didn't deny it. It was open. And he allowed himself to be held accountable in community. And not only did he allow himself to, but he taught the church forms of accountability with one another, mutual accountability. And it started with this very simple phrase from Jesus. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It refers to actual things in chapter 9 that Saul did. But in my sense, it means for the rest of his life in community, he follows the lordship of Jesus. Lordship, a, a synonym for that is with Jesus being our master, Jesus being our director, Jesus being the one who we allow to tell us what we must do, and we follow. And then I think another understatement is at the very end of that uh, text. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. What must those days have been like? I doubt they were... They were filled with, with denials. I doubt they were filled by words of personal defense of his previous action. I imagine they were filled with a lot of tears and remorse. Because the people who, the harm that Ananias had heard about, this is harm of actual people that people knew. It's tough in the church when we are a place of mutual accountability. And we have to be a place of mutual accountability because the church continues to be a place of shelter and refuge for the vulnerable. On this day, following this week when we have been exposed to the violence inflicted upon Tyree Nichols, that resulted in his death. Exposed to those who lose their lives in all too common incidents covered by the news every week, it would be misguided to imply that 
a person's conversion means that other people's suffering doesn't matter. In the church, we stand for accountability so that all God's people might be safe. This is the core of the shepherding ministry of Jesus. It requires an adaptive move to go along with the welcome adaptive move. And that is the adaptive move of humility. And that's a move that we are all called to make in the church. Remorse, recognition, repentance, and living within limits so that love will reign in human community. What are some of the markers of Saul's path of humility? You actually see that throughout the New Testament, throughout his testimonies. Second Corinthians comes to mind the most. But what about in this chapter, even in the text that we read? He followed Jesus and went to the city, and he did what was told that he must do. I see an openness to self-denial in how Saul reacted. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That is an austere entrance into the faith. He did not walk into the church demanding anything. The second path of humility that I see in Saul is a new posture of prayerfulness. And then Ananias is called to go ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Saul immediately became a person of prayer. And finally, the third one is this. There's proof in this story that that his conversion was not simply an exercise in self-preservation. Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In conclusion, Ananias was the first of many in the church to encounter a straight street surprise. We, if we haven't already, will have that opportunity ourselves. As the gospel is proclaimed, and as the Holy Spirit's power to change lives is embraced, the church in every age has plenty of opportunity to risk welcoming those who share a testimony of a total turnaround. Moving forward together in mutual accountability, may we be a community that adapts to the life-transforming work of Jesus in our world today. Amen. to you so that you will be glorified and all the world may find their lives transformed by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Following a five-minute break, we'll be back here in this room to conduct the annual meeting of the congregation. During that time, we will have some prayer partners up front if you, any of you would like to pray with someone following the service. And then 
Also, I just want to encourage you with these words of blessing from Scripture. As you go forth into the world, remember God's amazing grace. That life-transforming power. The power to, to bring about a total turnaround exists for each one of us and indeed for the whole world. And may God surprise us along the way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of God's Holy Spirit now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Five minutes. We're back here for the meeting. <laughs>